Uh, it's so lovely to be in big church. Um, as you know, I say every time it's not real church. Real church is trapped behind those doors out there into the other side. But I got so excited um, about being in big church, I actually forgot it was... Um, Briefly, I forgot it was me doing this part of it. It's just so special to be in worship and to be in the body and to be together. So that's just been, oh, that will fill me up for a while now. Thank you. That's really lovely. Otherwise, we'd be singing the I'm Special song, sometimes twice. So having a wee break from that. I did a handover to Jen because she's running it all in there, which um, is wonderful. I won't even have to worry about that. But we have backup food. And backup food is what happens when you guys are coming into land, you know, the coming into land phrase of Sam's, which means could be circling for a while, (laughs) could be dropping. And then um, beautiful ministry time, which, of course, no one's going to come in and be like, could you stop doing that because I need you to get the children. So we have backup food. So I was explaining, look, you'll need the backup food. And just in case he goes a bit long, and I was like, oh, it's me. (laughs) So we'll just shut it down real quickly, and then everyone will love me. Um, I, I'm, I'm a very routine, structured person, and I like my world to be very ordered. And in case you didn't know that, I just thought you should know that. And um, I love having just a really lovely rhythm to my life. And it gets apprehended often by the three people I live with, and I have to rethink my spiritual disciplines and how I like to do things. So I had a really lovely rhythm going where everyone left the house favorite part, and then, um, and then I had my silence and solitude, which I just relish. So now, slightly less favorite part, carpool uh, with year nine boys in the morning. And so um, one of them being Gaspian, who's just over here to my right, um, he'll look straight ahead, he won't even, it'll be fine. So um, now I get to take four year nine boys to school, um, what Napier calls across town, that's Bayview to Taradale, it's not even... Anyway, compared to Christchurch, but it's, um, so there's carpool, and it's not silence and solitude. Oh, it's mostly silent, because they're not as vocal in the morning, more vocal in the afternoon one, but it's just mess with my structure, you know? It's important to take children to high school, but it hasn't been as, hasn't been as nice for me, and so I've had to find another way of doing things, which is horrific for me, because I'm like, I just want to do it the way I decided, and I'll stick to that for life. So I've been listening to podcasts, and I've been listening to the Bible, and I've been listening to um, the New Testament chronologically, see, a wee bit of order coming through there, and I've absolutely loved this new process of listening to the gospel, mostly you'll hear the same story about three times, and just hearing it from different angles, and also listen, there's a um, person who reads it, it's a very nice voice to listen to, but just hearing the continuity of that story is a whole narrative coming right through, so different from turning to the bit that has that story, and then finding another bit that has story, then thinking, oh, you've said that thing that he said, same thing. This one is just repetitive and coming through, and it's really transformed how I've seen Uh, the Bible, and how I've read the Gospels, and how I've viewed Jesus, and how I've just got this lovely opportunity to see how he deals with individuals. He is phenomenally the God of individuals and of mass crowds, unfazed by either, able to flip between both. And it's so beautiful to track with him um, as he looks at different people. So that's part of what we're going to do today. There's one story that I just wasn't even able to shake, and I read it about four weeks ago, And it really stuck with me, and it made me really think about the way that Jesus um, dealt with this woman and the way that he sees us. 
and I'm trying to learn to be an apprentice of Jesus, trying to be like him, do like him, see what he sees, treat people like he sees. And, you know, that's a life end goal. <laughs> that's not, I'm not going to get up one day and say that I've totally nailed that. <laughs> but I really want to do what he does. And so reading the Gospels is how you work out how he did stuff. And then um, he has said to us that he will be with us and that we can do the same. So with that in mind, I, I really started reading the story feeling um, trying to feel what he felt and how he deals with them. And he's very clever, a little bit tricky, and very good at dealing with people. So the, the tricky thing about this story is it's super awkward. It's a super awkward story. I'm a great person to bring. I hate awkward. Um, I'd avoid it at all costs. I'm married to someone who loves it. You've maybe witnessed a little slither of that uh, this morning. Um, Luke loves it, and he wades into it. He invites it. He grabs it, pulls it around you. I would rather put the microphone down and walk out. I hate awkward. But I've been so enthralled by this woman, I want to tell her story. Because it's not an easy thing to preach from. Um, There's other things to talk about that would be easier. And I think it's because it's a really relatable taboo. It's a relatable taboo because it's to do with women's issues. So a little bit of wisdom. If there's a hard word to say, don't vocalise it. Just sound it out. Okay, so if you don't want to talk about the fact that someone's a bit balding, you just say balding, but you lower your voice. So you say the word, totally fine, that's you being really cool with it, but you just don't vocalise the word. So today we're going to be talking about women's issues, okay? You're looking worried because we really are, okay? So it's okay. Um, She has the last frontier of a stigma that really is still a stigma. So it's really hard for us to read stories about leprosy because it's not a a modern disease that we're currently seeing. I know it is affecting people, but we are very drenched with that information. And, you know, we get skin stuff, and you can talk about skin stuff because it's just on your skin. So that's like a nice safe area. We don't have that same uh, stigma associated with disability. We're not going to say that's a generational curse and have that same affront that um, those listening to Jesus at the time would have had. We don't even tend to have as many issues with women that when he was making illustrations and making a point of singling out women, that doesn't make us think, oh, that's shocking. That makes us love him even more. And the same thing Sam said last week about Good Samaritans, that's a positive word for us. That has all been rolled into one, very different from the story of the good white supremacist, which has been sitting with me, and I'm still not sure how I feel that. But this story of, of women's issues and plumbing in general areas... Um, <laughs> has a stigma to it. It is awkward. I find it incredibly awkward to say, and this is 2019, and we are allowed to talk about everything now. Everything. We can talk about gender fluidity. We can talk about all the issues associated with that. We are needing to raise our children really openly and overtly and give them every single piece of information that I still haven't received quite from my own parents yet. Because <laughs> I've been raised proper, and um, proper people don't talk about things like that. So we're allowed to go everywhere, everywhere. But this is still a really hard thing to talk about, bleeding and blood. I'm just loving your faces. <laughs> You're like, thanks, Charlotte, that was super funny. If you could talk about the thing that you are actually going to talk about today, that'd be great. This is it. She deserves to be talked about because she has no name, and I will not let that stand. She needs to be talked about. And, you know, some of us, maybe 50% in this room, maybe, you know, bleeding is a thing. So we won't do a puberty talk 
Talk to mum about that, not my mother, because we haven't talked about that, but talk to other people's <laughs> mothers. My grandma had a very good way of talking about it. It requires a hand motion, brace yourselves. But we're talking about things that happen in your waters, so just there, okay? So this area, we're talking about this this morning. If you are confused and think it's your knees, go with. And I know you're really polite people, but think of this funny thought. To get the Gospels canonized and discussed, men sat around and talked about this story, and they reprinted it three times initially, and then they have translated it, and it's been translated, and they have to write down blood, and women with blood issue. Now, I have a slight issue with the word issue, because she doesn't have an issue with her blood. She has the blood problem, which is driving her crazy and affecting her entire life. But every translation I've been looking at is the woman with the issue with blood. It sounds like getting a library book out or a publication or having a debate around it. No one's debating it. The truth is no one is talking about it. So it just is the woman who was just having some trouble as a woman and the incredible story about how Jesus singled her out and restored her. So that is the story we're going to look about today. And I'll try and keep it as general and indicative like this and as positive as possible. Sorry, Gatsby. So, um, so, there is money set aside for therapy. It's totally fine. Um, so we're going to look at three things on the slide. Um, one about being other today. That's what I want this kind of text to show you. And embracing awkwardness, which we're doing super well now that you've realized this is what we're doing. And we're going to talk about restoring relationships. So that's where you can all just have a wee, wee fan and a breathe. So I'm fascinated that this has stuck with me for over a month, but actually has become more and more significant in the light of what's kind of happening in New Zealand at the moment uh, with the Christchurch uh, mosque shootings and in light of what it means for us now. So it's, it's been a timely word in advance. So when we look at the text, we're going to look at being other and being others about the things that we fear. It's about the things, uh, how we feel rejected ourselves, but how we reject to varying degrees. We're going to look at how we isolate people and look at people who feel isolated. And we're going to specifically look at those who are unseen because that is the lesson of this woman, the unseen person, the nameless person. When we look at awkwardness, um, Sam told me this great quote by Alan Scott, a wonderful vineyard guy who said, the awesome is in the awkwardness. Unfortunately, you're going to have to wade in there to get it. So we're going to do a whole lot of intentional wading in today and look at the awkwardness. And we're going to look at the need we have for connection and how we bring relationship and how we bring wholeness. Ultimately, how Jesus is showing us in our apprenticeship how to see people and see people like him. So prior to this happening, this is in Luke, um, Luke 8, it's been really big and really loud and really busy. So there's been a lot going on. The momentum of Jesus has got really high. He's doing some huge public healings. There's a huge crowd gathering. He's doing big crowd ministering. There's a lot of control kind of needed of these crowds because they've had to be wrangled. Even if he moves town to town, the crowd moves as well. And he's doing huge teaching, huge preaching. And this whole momentum is happening as well for the disciples who are having you know, a lot of on-the-job training. He's rebuking them. He's giving them more teaching. He's been controversial already about family and about what it means to be real listeners. Uh, there's more people joining in. Everything is go. Expectation is really high. So there's a buzz. So she would have known that he was coming because it's what everyone's talking about. For good or for bad, it's huge. She would have known that he was coming. And then I think at some point Jesus decides it's all a bit too much. I don't know if someone had a little safety chat to him just about the numbers getting high or people getting a little bit carried away. That would have been my job to say, look, we just need to, to lower it down and manage it, split it up, divide it up, get more people in. 
uh, make it safe. So he has some time to himself. Great. Uh, then, then they're on a boat. Then they cross the other side. Then he has a nap. Then there's a massive storm. Uh, then he silences the storm. <laughs> then he address, addresses the issues of trust regarding that whole thing. And the disciples are in this absolute state of just awe of who he is. So he is showing them very specifically who he is and reminding them who he is and who he will be in them. So they get to the shore, once again, incredibly large crowds. There's a demon and a pig uh, story in there, which has all got a bit too much for everyone. And people are actually starting to say, look, this is actually a bit too much. It's got a bit too much. So that's the picture I want you to have, not just crowds like this, where there's spaces between you and, you know, here's a bunch of people. But these are pressed in on all sides, maybe a little bit manic kind of crowds, because they are seeing miracles happen in front of them. And he... Interestingly, the last story just before we meet this woman, he's told the man who was delivered to go and tell everyone. So sometimes he says to people, go and tell everyone. Just tell everyone, yell it from the rooftops what I've done. Sometimes he says, follow the protocol, the religious rituals of the time, and then tell people. Sometimes he says, do not tell anyone on the list of things to ask him about what he's doing. But let's look at um, Luke 8.40. And I'm just going to read from the message because it's beautifully merged um, a lot of the Gospels all together and just gives us a fuller picture. Uh, Luke 8.40, we'll just read this first section. On his return, Jesus was welcomed by a crowd. So remember, big group of people. They were all there expecting him. A man came up, Jairus by name. He was president of the meeting place. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his home because his 12-year-old daughter, his only child, was dying. Jesus went with him, making his way through the pushing, jostling crowd. So here's our crowd, high with expectation, really expectant. And the fact that Jairus can come forward, named Jairus, we know his name, the fact that he can come forward alludes to the fact that he does have a standing. He would have had a group of people with him, and he um, it belongs to the synagogue. This version says he's the president of the meeting place. So he's got social standing, and he's known. And I imagine people making some way. Jairus needs to come through. He needs to meet with Jesus. Because you couldn't make appointments with Jesus. Also tricky. You couldn't say, look, you know, when you're back through in town, here's my card. We'll get in touch, and I'd really like to meet you probably prior to the big crowd thing would be more suitable for me, and just talk through some, you know, stuff that's going on. Or if you could just swing past the house on your way, because um, my daughter's quite sick. It, does, it, none of, it doesn't say that that happens, because Jesus is just in this middle of this throng of people. So way is made for Jairus, and he um, pushes through the jostling crowd. Uh, he has, I imagine... Like, his world is actually ending. So all the social standing and confidence doesn't matter in that second because his only child is dying. Um, so, But I imagine he's perceived as being someone of a lot of respect and that they would have been making way for him. But he still falls to his feet and begs Jesus. And Jesus turns to go with him. He turns to go with him. And so our story that we're going to look at actually takes place within this story. It's a little bit of an interruption to what was supposed to be happening. The story is about Jesus on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Our woman, with the issues, um, is the interruption to the norm. Okay, she's the interruption. Jesus makes way for the interruption. You know, you know that in your lives. He has interrupted your lives. But he makes way for other people. He doesn't say, well, I totally say, because I get a wee bit task-focused, which is why don't talk to me on Sundays after 
um, Bay Kids Costco and wee bit glazed over because I'm maybe a wee bit at a full capacity of survival. I look lovely and friendly, but I would have just had an hour of your small people. And so I go wee bit task focused. So if someone has a need, I just kind of addressing tasks. Like I did that to Jo last week. I returned to your children because I was having a very efficient moment. I uh, did not realise you were having a beautiful ministry time <laughs> out the front. And I just like, excuse me, child, good, next thing. So Jesus doesn't have that. Jesus always sees the person. Always is after the person. Even the person he's dealing with, he always sees the interruption. So next I'm reading from verse 43. In the crowd that day, there was a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhages. She had spent every penny she had on doctors, but not one had been able to help her. She slipped in from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' robe. At that very moment, her hemorrhaging stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? So in this crowd of manic people, high expectation, noise and busyness, this woman comes unnamed and alone. One of many with no social standing, no agenda, no one saying, sorry, can you just make way for this man to come through? But the equally the same desperation. Same acknowledgement of who Jesus is. She knew to go after him, just like Jairus did. But she's unseen. Worse than that, she is completely and utterly ostracized. She represents all there is to represent about other. Because not only is she unclean in terms of ritual and ceremony, she has the potential to make everyone who comes near her unclean. She is the source of uncleanliness for other people. So she has the, the double whammy of otherness. She is completely shunned. And because this is a 12-year, now here's the real use of the word, issue. There's the issue. This is a 12-year issue of seeing doctors, spending all your money, and being constantly in a state of other. Now, she doesn't have a great gang of women hanging with her to support her in this time. Because we have a little shorthand, woman to woman, when we're talking about times and feelings and a little bit of, you know, the waters. She doesn't have the gang. Because they can't be near her because she is unclean. So she's not having this really lovely time out of the month by herself. This is not the beautiful picture of the red tent. This is ostracized, unclean, stay away from, completely shunned. And it's the law. The law is the law is for the, the natural time of bleeding that you are unclean. There's also another law if you continue to do that. So she's done that for 12 years. She is, it's very likely, commentaries I've read, that her husband would have left her because she can make him unclean. They can't lie in the same bed. They can't really be in the same house. She can't cook for her children. She can't go and get food and water. She'd be getting it at different times of the day. She's not hanging out with the girls in the village. She's not getting any social input. She is fully ostracized and fully other in every single way. And this has been happening to her for 12 years. And I bet they knew. I bet they knew who she was. I bet they were like, oh, what's that? What's that? Mm, problems? You know? And I bet they stayed away. One, because they had to, because you've got to protect your own cleanliness, because you don't want to be left out of the temple and left out of the area that you're, as a woman, not even allowed to be in. So you don't want to lose your right to even be in that one part you're allowed to be in. She is very left out. So I've had times of being other. We've all had times of being other. We've all had times where we're like, oh, I don't quite fit with the group. I didn't, I couldn't bear mother's group. <laughs> Overshare. I couldn't bear mother's group uh, when I had a baby, one of them. Um, and I, I just couldn't bear bringing out other mothers because, one, here's all my others. I was a working mother. Oh, shun. Terrible. So I lived in a state of guilt. 
uh, when I was away from my child. And then when I was with my child, I was thinking about work. So I couldn't do like a lovely Plunkett mum's group because I'd be like, oh, I can squeeze it in between probably 12 to 1 then. So it never worked. They didn't fit in. And then I um, had to bottle feed my children, so shun. Um, and then they wore disposable nappies. Terrible. Shun. And so you, in, a, in this moment, brief moment of time, I was other. Very brief. Very brief. Felt absolutely terrible about it. But I found my own people. My people were the guilt-ridden other working mothers. <laughs> we're the ones who hung out in the staff room and just talked about our children and rolled our eyes and said, are you going to get groceries on the way home? Are you going to manage it that way? Or have you got tea organised? Or what time does your person swap over? Or what happens if they're sick? And then those are my people. So you can be other, but you go find your other people. You know, that's what we all do. We find our other. You're all here. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Hello, others. Uh, this is our crowd. You always move towards the other people that make you feel less other because we fear it so much. So much. So she does not have another group of equally ostracized, unclean people. She is so by herself. And she comes by herself. And so her suffering is physical and mental and emotional and economical and social and spiritual on every level. When you quickly read, being afflicted with hemorrhages, that means she is out there on her own. But I believe there's been a tenacity in her soul. There's a tenacity in her soul because she has spent all her money for 12 years. 12 years she has been in this situation and she has sought all kinds of help. Now today... They would put her on HRT, they would give her a surgery that would be over in a day, and she would be able to get stuff together. Things would come right. It's a very, as much as it is an affliction, there are solutions. There are solutions. So when we think about her, don't think of having this terrible disease, the reason is there's no solutions in that moment. But actually it's a very common thing. And so this could, have been, this could have been dealt with had it been our time, but what has happened for her has, has worsened, and there's all the other issues that are around it. So she hasn't been to church, she hasn't been to any th- contact with people, and she lives in fear of causing uncleanliness to others. So there's her own shame, and the fact that she can cause shame to others. And there she is, she's out. Number one, she's out. She left her house. And she's gone out. So just think about what that would have taken her to leave her house. And she is in a crowd. So not a small group of people hanging around Jesus and asking him about the weather. She's in a massive, massive crowd of people, pressed in on every side. So she is touching, at risk of touching, everyone around her. And she is living with that shame of causing uncleanliness. And she is seeking to touch Jesus. So she has tenacity. She has deep within herself some dignity that has been stood on repetitively, but she still has it. She's out, she wants to touch, and she's at the risk of being seen. And the beautiful thing that Jesus does, you know, there's all these different ways he heals people, things he gets people to do, um, ways he talks to them. He heals her instantaneously. The mercy of him doing that to her. Uh, so at the, in, in the moment, it's kind of not known. It's a little secret healing, which I think is lovely to do to her. But the fact that it's instant cancels all of those 12 years in an instant. Not, okay, if you follow these things or let's talk about um, you know, what's going on in your life. It's an instant healing. An instant healing. And it is happening in a situation that is public. Bless him for this. I love his style. He does it publicly. He says to the ostracized woman who is other and hasn't probably left her house or been with people, I heal you straight away, and I do it in front of all of them. 
And I love that he sees her and he keeps it so simple because she would have just been at her maximum of coping, the fact that she was even there. So this immediate relief just cancels out that exclusion that she has experienced. He restores her in a way of just complete reversal, takes it all away as he does for us. Just such a beautiful moment and undoes undoes her shame in doing that and she is instantly whole. And then, um, next verse, when no one stepped forward, Peter said, but master, we've got crowds of people on our hands. Bless Peter. He's so smart. We've got crowds of people on our hands and dozens have touched you. Uh, Jesus insisted, someone touch me. I felt power discharging from me. It's really good to have disciples um, who say sensible things that no doubt we would have said as well. Like, um, can I just point out, there's a massive crowd of people and uh, we are, you know, you're being touched all the time. In fact, we're trying to manage that and you've gone and said, someone touched me. They must have just looked at him and been like, hmm, quite a few people have touched you. So carry on, get the man some water, you know, and just maybe we sit down, cup of tea while he regroups. And Peter comes forward and says that and he, he says those things we all think and he beautifully just says them out loud. Remember on his rock, the church was built. Sorry, sorry um, for saying anything else about that. Um, there's a picture, um, this is by James Tussaud, who is the kind of the contemporary of Degas, if you know him, or Manet. He's kind of in that time. He was a French painter who painted women, so I'm really interested that then he uh, had a conversion to Catholicism and decided to paint the life and times of Jesus. So in this picture, we have a wee bit of art history class now. Um, So Jesus is in the white, kind of to the left center of the picture. Can you see that? And then she is, so there's a woman in front of her in a kind of mustardy yellow thing that she's got happening. Our woman is just slightly behind her. Now she has got her foot on the fringe. So she's This is just such a picture of her desperation. Her foot is where she would have been standing, and she is doing a mega lunge right across the picture to touch him. But I feel that what he's showing in this picture is that she, this is Jesus fully swamped by crowds, absolutely. She's come from her place where she's been standing, you know, and I know this is not a direct photo, so we're just going with some creative license. But she is coming right across the crowds of people and reaching out to touch him. But I feel there's a lot of a message in the fact that she's still standing in her fringe area, in her outer, and she's pushing herself right across these crowds of people, holding her place on the edge, but doing the super awkward just to touch, not even him, but his cloak at the back. So just even to remain as anonymous as she can, that desperation, I think, is so beautifully um, captured in that picture. Um, she just deserves an applause, but doesn't... Anyway, just give her one at some point in time this week. Uh, I love that Jesus notices us, and he sees us, and he knows to see the people that are unseen, and he bridges the divide, And he actually just consumes the divide. He's done that for all of us, and he writes it. Our Jesus of the awkward gets in the awkward, and he's so smart in the way he's called her out. And I love that he lets others know that someone has touched him because he's made a very big statement that says, I am not able to be made unclean because I actually have come to fulfill that law. And he in himself is the God who dwells with man and reverses laws and reverses penalties. And he's been very, very specific and clear about how he's spoken to her. He's personalized her despite the crowds and despite the fact that she's actually on his way to someone else's house um, to heal uh, his dying daughter. So verse 47, when the woman realized she couldn't remain hidden... 
She knelt trembling before him in front of all the people. She blurted out her story, why she touched him, and how at that same moment she was healed. Jesus said, daughter, you took a risk trusting me. Now you're healed and whole. Live well. Live blessed. Exactly. (laughs) She's had a lifetime, a pattern of hiddenness. This has been her habit, and so it is with us. When we realised we are seen and can't be hidden, we must cling to him for our identity. She had no one else to turn around to and say, oh, that's a little awkward, Uh, let's go and we'll deal with that later. She was alone and she looked to him for her identity. He is our truth about who we are. That is the same for us. So she comes forward and I love that she's a blurter. She's been a secretive, hidden, downtrodden, shamed woman, and now she's got a blurt on. She's like, okay, so I'm going to tell you everything that's been going on. Because it's not who, her shame and her ostracization is actually not who she is. If you'd seen her, you would have discredited her fabulous personality, her amazing way uh, with linen, and the fantastic cooking that she did. You would have discredited her because you would have assumed in her otherness that was the sum total of her. Turns out, blurter. She likes to tell a good story. So off she goes saying, look, nothing has happened for 12 years. And then suddenly she's taking her story back and rewriting her identity and letting herself be seen. And it's the other side of awkwardness. When we go through awkwardness, there is relationship and restoration and connection and hope. She is bold and public and intentional about the thing that has been her private, private shame for all this time. And she is called Daughter. No other better name than have Jesus call you daughter. She is seen by him, and I can just feel the fact that she would have relished that. She is healed. She doesn't have to go through any other rituals. Think about what she can do with her day. You know, there's just no other answers she needs to seek. There's nothing else that's fully done. It's been done for her like it was done for us. Peace and love and freedom is upon her. And he addressed the person and saw her pain right into the invisible parts of her. Verse 49, while he's still talking to her, to our woman, someone from the leader's house, this is Jairus, comes up and says, your daughter has died. There's no need to bother the teacher. Jesus overheard and said, don't be upset. Just trust me and everything will be all right. He goes into the house. He wouldn't let anyone else enter with him except for Peter, John and James and the child's parents. So he stayed with her in that beautiful moment. It's not like we sorted out who uh, touched me and then we moved on. He stayed with her and he talked to her. And I feel like it's him giving back her, her time and restoring her dignity and elevating her so that it's sorted in that moment. And then we're very quickly taken back into the original plan. This is where he's supposed to be going. Uh, we know that Jesus actually had it under control. There's a brief moment where you think, oh my goodness, he totally forgot. He doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't forget. And he can just he can pivot so easily to that same thing and talk to those people so personally and say, just trust me. How much faith those people would have had that had heard any of that conversation, that had witnessed any of those things, that heard him say, don't panic, we're just going to go and deal with that now, very privately again. Because it would have become a public thing because this whole interaction is happening while people would have been saying he's completely forgotten um, about Jairus. I imagine the crowd is building and there's muttering and they're saying things, oh no, he's completely forgotten. And then the wailing of the grief is that comes from Jairus. Jairus's house. He's immersed in that, but he's seen this woman and held the conversation with her and restored her. He's actually okay to be bothered, and he's okay to go on and do other things. He asks for trust, asks for his closest friends, goes into the house, changes the situation, 
restores another life, brings joy and says, get us some food. (laughs) He's just fabulous. (laughs) He's just fabulous. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? We've journeyed with this woman of desperation and pain. We've looked at Jesus' example of how he says, you are not an other. This is how we must see people. This is how we must treat people. We must address our own fears and inadequacies so that we are able to see people for who they are. So in light of the last couple of weeks that we are facing as a country and will face as a country, just thinking about Sam's message last week about the fact that every human is made in the image of God. That's how Jesus saw this woman, his daughter. That's his daughter. Of course she needed to be there. We are going to need to be the people who lead with the kind of kindness and compassion that we have seen around us. The love of God is meant to go to the broken. It's meant to go to the unseen and the outcast and the lost. Jesus lived this and calls us to follow it. There's no way around it. This is what we're doing. This is who we're supposed to be. And all our relationships must be in the context of love. It's a call to addressing our own indifference. And this has been huge for me because I think I felt that by being neutral and silent, I've made a stand. I don't do those things that others do, but I've actually discovered I don't do an opposite thing. I'm not leading with another action. I really support when other people do, but it's a reminder for me to look for those who enforced isolation. I like Sam read that post from that woman who had interactions by going to play dates and had talked to people, but at the core of it, she was in a a forced isolation. She was perceived as other and there was no one to bridge that gap. And I think we need to do things differently now. That was a very clear A call from our Prime Minister uh, on Friday at the memorial service um, where she said our challenge now is to make the very best of us a daily reality because we are not immune to the viruses of hate and of fear and of other. She stole my sermon. We have never been, but we can be the nation that discovers the cure. And so to each of us as we go from here, we have work to do. We do not leave the job of combating hate to the government. We hold the power in our words and in our actions and in our daily acts of kindness. This needs to be the legacy. And as Sam talked about last week, we've been led uh, by a very secular prime minister, but her example is incredible. And we need to take the lead on this as well. Also watching on stage um, Mr. Ahmed, Mr. Farid Ahmed, who... Uh, once again had spoken out about forgiving the killer who killed his wife, and he is you know, in a wheelchair and, and very obviously still injured. His words are incredible, and gosh, the crowd just heard it so differently because there's a real silence when he speaks, and he talked about keeping his heart peaceful, keeping away the volcanic um, hatred that can be in there and showing love. Worse than that, showing forgiveness and showing empathy for the killer. He talked about the fact that we need to see others and look for what unifies us. And he called us to do the same. Um, I went out for a lovely cup of tea with Elsa and she demonstrated this beautifully without me me even telling her that's what I needed her to do. We went to uh, the Mighty Ten Cafe and were served by a very grumpy waitress. And she was clearly at the end of her shift and wasn't really enjoying the fact that we were having a cup of tea together. And I just about in my mind thought, you know, just having those same thoughts of like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, come on, step it up, people, customer service. You know, just getting a little irritated on. And then Elsa starts to talk to her and I thought, oh, no, Elsa, don't do that. Don't talk to the woman. Just get her to get the tea and we'll move on. And as I'm having this internal monologue, I watched Elsa just soften this woman so completely by saying, you look really tired. You must have had a really long day. And she said she'd had six really long days and was coming to end of quite a big shift and had a three-year-old. And in that moment, everything changed. This woman was not other. 
this woman was joined with by people that totally understand long days and understand children and understand being tired and being sick on their feet. And she changed so much. By the time she came and served us at our table, she had totally engaged with us and she was so warm. And Elsa just turned it just slightly, just enough that we could see her as a person. It was such an example to me of something I was about to tell you about that hadn't managed to do, (laughs) haven't managed to do myself. Everyone has a sphere of influence. Everyone has a sphere of influence right in front of them. Mine is pack and save on a Monday morning. And for some reason, because I'm kind of all churched up on a Sunday, and then by the time we get back, you know, it's Sunday afternoon, then I do a bit of work to kind of, you know, just some admin stuff for church. I think Monday morning, pack and save, I still think I'm a wee bit at church because I'm super friendly, and that's not, um, that's not my normal way of operating. Like, if I don't have to engage with people, I'll be like, sweet, I won't. And normally, you know, you can stay on your task, but for some reason, I've just still got my Bay Kids badge on or something in my head. There's something that I'm like, what? I'm so friendly to people. This is appalling. But I just have this habit now of the same way I look at mums and dads at church and think, gosh, you're so amazing just to even get here because that feeling hasn't left me yet. And I feel so proud of people for just getting in the door and for wrangling their children. I've got the same thing about supermarket shopping that I've started to say to people, and honestly, the reaction is not as beautiful as the one that Elsa had. People are just like, okay, I am right out there in the awkward. But I just think it's just, you know, to get all your kids in a car and then to get out of the car and then get them all in a trolley and then put food in the trolley, then put all the food up onto the checkout and then put all the food back into the car and get all the children in the car, you're amazing. So I've gone to say that people are amazing. So I say, oh, well done. You're doing such a great job. I've gone to take people's children off them when they're trying to, like, grab things. I say, look, just give them to me. They think, I am an utter stranger. And I have somehow breached the awkward. But a couple of times it's been all right. Most of the time it's super weird. And I think I've frightened people. But I really want... What I wanted as a mum when my children, none of them present, um, were having you know, just some strong personality moments on the floor of the supermarket. I, what I wanted as a mum is someone to say, we've totally been there, hang in there, can I help you? And that's what I've done for a few people, even though they just look at you like, no, if you could move away. But I want to be that mum, that supporting person to a mum, because that's a, the public tantrums are a nightmare. So, no, it's never, <laughs> wouldn't have been you. But everyone has a sphere of influence and everyone has a set of people. Outside of these doors, everyone has a group of people who belong to them. And you just are going to have to get a little bit of Luke Buxton on and cross the awkward. Just jump right into it because that's where the magic happens. And weirdly, we all shop, most of us, shop in a similar kind of routine. So there is some Monday culture happening at Pack and Save Tamatea of people that I'm seeing at a similar time to the point where now I'm like, hey, I'm the weird lady that holds your child. Um, So that's cool. So you can build some community wherever you are, wherever you are. Another thing I want to talk about is life groups. So there's all the stuff we've got to do out in the world. There's all the stuff we've got to do in light of the legacy of what happened on March the 15th. There's stuff we've still got to do in here. It's a little bit awkward talking to new people in church. Most awkward thing is trying to work out if they're new or not new. (laughs) Super awkward when they think you're new. No, I've been coming for a wee bit. Yeah, you just don't see me. So we've really got to wade into the awkwardness again and wade into the fact that these are not other. This is your group. This is your crowd. This is where you are safe. Wade on in there because that's how we build connection and community. And we need to address the fact that actually we are lonely people. You can pull it together, some of you, to varying degrees, but we're actually lonely people. And there is loneliness in other people. That's what we've got in common. 
And awkwardness leads to a beautiful community. Our life group, and some of you are present, and forgive me, but we can be a little awkward at times, just a bit awkward, because, you know, it's a group of people gathering together in a lounge that isn't normally there any other days of the week. So that, that is an awkward thing, and we are a very different range of people. I see you. But we do this really great awkward thing called our cards. So that could sound, sound sounds awkward in the process of it. But these are cards that um, Soul Talk have put out that have uh, some emotions on them. That might be how you're feeling and have some emotions on it of things you need. Really, really simple. And we set them out nicely on the table, if Amy's there, super nicely as a grid. And we choose one feeling and one thing we need. And then we hold on to our little cards and then in a big circle we share them. Now, originally, I did find this incredibly awkward, but it's super safe because you're holding a card. You're not just divulging an emotion and being vulnerable. You're holding a card, and you're doing the same awkward thing that the other 14 people are doing, and you're doing it together. But something works in this. Something works because you share to whatever degree you want. This week, I'm feeling a little... What's the word? Overwhelmed. This week I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. You could share that to the varying degrees of the massive stress that's in your life that you don't tell anyone or just say a busy day. Okay, and that's super safe in the awkwardness. And then the thing you need. Now, I always like to take the card that's um, structure. I've tried to share it with Paul Duncan, but I seem to be able to get in there first. And I'm always craving structure. So I can talk about that. I can talk about that in a tiny way, like just trying to manage my life, or I can talk about the fact that this is actually a big issue for me. And then we, um, regardless if the person has shared the most horrendous, deep issue in their life, or just a little tiny, uh, small thing about being a wee bit tired, now life group, demonstrate. We do this. Hands in the air, people. We do snaps. Okay? See, we are weird, but I'm just going to tell you because you need to be weird in order to build community, and let's face it, there's some weirdness. So this says, I hear you, I see you, I give you feedback, I'm there with the moment, empathy, empathy, so with you, but have to move on because there's 14 people in a room and we're still going. That is our little ritual, but we are building community because I know stuff about people's lives. They know sometimes stuff about me, and this is how we get through our awkward to build community. So be encouraged to join a Bay group of any type, push through the awkward, and you'll find community on the other side. And the other thing I couldn't leave without talking about is Marae and what we want to be doing there. It is going to be a little bit awkward. We've had a couple of meetings and already I felt a little bit awkward, mostly because we're kind of out of our depth in a sense of feeling like drowning. Luckily, we've got Alan and Bruce. But also because we are doing something we've not done before, and we're doing something in an area that has a unique set of hardships and a unique group of people, and I don't want to bowl in and say, I'm here, I've got a plan, and we're going to sort it, because that would be rude and disgusting behaviour. And I want to have a heart for Marainui, that is Jesus's heart, and that's going to be a wee bit awkward, because I'm really not um, fully sorted um, in terms of Jesus's heart. But I want to be like him, and I want us as a community to have a heart for other, not, oh, I see you other, oh, that's a real shame, other, but to recognise your own otherness and to see that person, see that woman, see that family, see that struggle, and to get the heart for it. And like Sam said many times, talk to Bruce, listen to Bruce. Bruce will be my guide whenever I think I'm going to do a really great job of something. I will check with Bruce 
that I'm not overstepping it, that I haven't lost the heart for it, that I haven't gone task focused for it, that I'm not going a wee bit big picture and not seeing. So my heart is for those parents, for those single mums. My heart is for those children. My heart is for the isolated and the rejected who have been rejected time and time again. And my heart is to make change, not by coming in and doing, but by forming relationship, saying these are people that will be friends and whanau that I haven't met yet, and we will journey with you. We will journey with you, and we will do this in relationship. So I come into land. (laughs) I wanted to say that. What I want us to do now is actually going to be really awkward. It's awkward for me because I've never been very good at leading this kind of thing. Luckily, it's nothing to do with me, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to look in our own hearts. Because today there is the possibility that within yourself right now, you feel other for all sorts of reasons. It can be physical reasons, social reasons, spiritual reasons, mental health reasons, emotional reasons. You feel other. And if you're really honest, we've all got a little bit of that. But for some reason you feel other. Number one, you are not other. Jesus has said, you are not other. You are my son. You are my daughter. But you may be feeling that way. I want want to give space to you. There's also, we need as a church community to have a heart for others. We need to, we cannot do what we want to embark on unless it's happening in our hearts. We must have a desire to stand by the unseen that comes from our hearts. So what I want to do, because we've been practicing it and we've been talking about it, is I want as a church to pray for these two groups of people. And there's, I've been trying to think of the least awkward way of doing this. The least awkward way is just to not do this. Just to say, stay there, do it in your own time. Great. That's the path of least awkward. I will always find it. The most awkward way is that we just, you know, it could be a little messy. So what I'd like to do is if you are one of those two people, I'd love you to be brave enough that you would put your hand up and the people around you will pray with you. You don't need to stand up, but just to raise your hand. And I want us as a church community to pray with that person. Now, you don't have to have the answers when you're praying. Really great. You just are led by the Holy Spirit. The person doesn't have to explain to you what is going on for them. You bless what the Holy Spirit's doing. We want to encourage people. We want to press into the awkward. If we all do it together, it won't be quite as weird. And we want to build community on the outside. And we want our hearts to be changed. We want our hearts to be changed. So two groups of people. One, if you're feeling uh, like perhaps you are other yourself, and we need to be so careful about this. This is a very sensitive thing but we are together in this. The other hand is if you want to have a heart so stirred and so moved for people that are other and you really want God to do a work in your life so you can be like him in this. 